So we're at the back end of this Go Great series that we started several weeks ago. Uh, We've talked about uh, great communion. That's the up dimension in that triangle uh, where we talk about how Jesus had fellowship with the Father and and good disciples uh, seek the same thing. And then we've talked about great community. That's the uh, in dimension, how Jesus walked closely with a group of disciples and how he models that for us to, to live in community, to grow in community. And so today we go into the third aspect, which is the great commission and is the out dimension of Jesus's life where he, he touched a broken world and he calls us to be co-agents with him in healing a broken world. The first word of the Great Commission is go. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's not come to church. I mean, come to church, uh, that's a good thing, but that's not what the Great Commission is. Jesus didn't say, come to church. He didn't say, bring people to church. He said, go and make disciples. Go to where they are and make disciples. And so today's message is called Go. And we are going to look at this aspect of the Great Commission from the lens of a prayer of Jesus. Not so much from the commandment of Jesus to go and make disciples, but from the prayer of Jesus, a prayer that he prayed shortly before he died. And John records this prayer. You can learn a lot about a person by praying with them. You can, you can learn what's in people's hearts when you pray together. I've had uh, the privilege this 26 days to be in the parlor at 6 a.m. every day with a group of four, six, sometimes eight people, and we pray together, and you can tell what's in people's hearts. Some people have a burden for those who live in, in spiritual bondage, and you'll hear that coming through. Some people have a burden for missionaries, and you'll hear them always pray for missionaries. Some people have a burden for, for their their own children who are living far away from God, and you hear that coming through. Some people have a burden for unity in the church, and, and you hear that coming through. When you hear people praying, you know what's in their heart. And when you hear Jesus praying, you know what's important to him. So let's look at this prayer uh, of Jesus so that you know what he has prayed for you. Uh, this is a prayer that Jesus lives in John chapter 17, and it's a really long prayer. It's a beautiful prayer that I hope you, uh, if you haven't read it, that you'll read it sometime and look at it. But today, we're just going to take a little snippet, a little piece of it, three verses out of that prayer in John 17, verses 15 through 18. Jesus is praying, says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is what Jesus prays for his disciples. He's really close to the cross. He's, He's coming up on the crucifixion, and he prays, for his disciples, for those that are following him. He, he knows it's going to get a little tough in the days ahead. But not only does he pray for his disciples, if you read the prayer, you'll notice that he prays for those who will believe because of the disciples. In other words, he prayed for you and for me. 
When Jesus is praying here, he's praying for all his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, this prayer is Jesus' prayer for you. And let me share with you three things that stand out of the passage as Jesus is praying for you and me. One, to be secure from the evil one. He wants us to be safe from Satan. He wants us to be secure from the enemy. As Jesus approaches the cross, the battle, the spiritual battle is intensifying. Jesus at the cross exacts a decisive victory over Satan, but the battle would become intense and Jesus knew that it was coming and his disciples would be attacked by the enemy. They would be tempted to fall. They would be tempted to deny him. And, and Jesus knows that the enemy's objective is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come to do exactly the opposite. In fact, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The devil speaks lies into people's lives in order to destroy them. He is the ultimate deceiver. The devil is a liar. Sydney Aiello is a 19-year-old student, graduate of Douglas uh, High School in Parkland, Florida, a bubbly personality, cheerleader at her school. Said hi to everyone in the hallway, Le leading a pretty happy life. And one day on Valentine's Day, 2018, a gunman entered her school and began to shoot and killed 17 people. Among those 17 was Sydney's friend, Meadow Pollock. I cannot even begin to imagine the trauma and the grief of being a student in a place where you're being attacked with such violence, such senseless hatred and destruction. After high school graduation, Sydney became a student at Florida Atlantic University. Her desire was to work in the medical field so that she could help others. She filled her days with her studies and were cheerleading, doing yoga, and, and brightening up people's days as she could. But the shooting left her with this kind of survivor's guilt. And then she was diagnosed with PTSD and battled with that, fought with that for a year. And then, just a few days ago, she took her life. Her funeral was Friday a week ago. Senseless. The, the life of a 19-year-old whose life is full ahead of them, the life of children and students taken in this kind of way. And I submit to you that violence and suicide are the work of Satan. It is the, the father of lies that speaks to people about how little their life is worth. It is the father of lies that is at work in violence and, and suicide. Jesus said about Satan in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father 
of lies. And, and Jesus knows this about the enemy. So he came to undo the work of the devil. He came to undo the lies and the deceit. He came because he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We sang about that today. And because he's the truth, he liberates people from deceit. He liberates people from the lies. He liberates people so that they can come to know true life and true freedom. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, the devil wants you to, to live in fear and insecurity. The devil cannot touch God, so he messes with his creation. The devil cannot overcome Jesus, so he goes after his followers. He tries to get to God by messing with those that belong to him. But Jesus came to deal Satan a death blow. At the cross, Jesus opened the way so that we would be free from the guilt and the deceit of sin. He saved us from the punishment of sin. He saved us from the guilt of sin. He saved us from the grasp of Satan on our lives. He saved us from the lies of the devil. Sin is the enemy's weapon, and it was crushed by the work of Jesus on the cross. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been freed from sin? Have you been freed from the bondage of sin? Have you been freed from the lies of the enemy? If you haven't, that's what Jesus came to do. The disciples were in this condition when Jesus found them. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus knew that he would go back up to the Father. After his decisive victory, he would sit on his throne in glory. But what about his disciples? What about his followers? Jesus would go back and, and enjoy what was his before he came to earth. But what about Peter and John and James and the rest of the guys that would stay here in this broken world? Why didn't Jesus take them with, to heaven with him? Why didn't Jesus say, look, I'm not just going to save you from the punishment of sin and from the guilt of sin. I'm going to save you from the presence of sin. Just come with me. I'm going to resurrect and we just all go to heaven. Why didn't Jesus do that for them? Well, the reason he didn't do that is because he has a mission for his disciples. And he knows, Jesus knows that, that the devil knows our mission and that the devil is angry. The devil is angry because he's been defeated. He's walking around with a death wound and he's trying to destroy as much as he can before he goes down for good. Amen. So, so let me say this to you. If, if the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. He's going to go down for good. So Jesus prays that God would protect his disciples from the evil one. He prays that we would be saved from the attacks of Satan. See, Satan cannot take away your position with Jesus. Satan cannot take away your salvation. Satan cannot remove your sonship, your daughtership from Jesus, but he can bully you. And Jesus is saying, protect them. As he, as he tries to attack them, protect them from that. I was reading the other day in 2 Kings this incredible story about Elisha uh, the, the prophet who followed Elijah. And Elisha has gone to, to speak God's word to a king, and the king didn't like it. Sometimes when we speak truth to people's life, they don't like it. And he went to speak truth into this king's life, and, and the king was so angry with Elisha that he sent chariots and armies to destroy him. 
And so here's Elisha with his servant at the hilltop in their house. And Elisha is just chilling. And the servant is looking outside and he sees his chariots and his army advancing against them. And he says, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're about to get wiped out. And so he tells Elisha, there's an army outside and they're coming after us. I don't know, maybe the servant uh, was trying to say, you should have kept your mouth shut. You should have said anything. And Elisha doesn't go out and see, well, let me see what's happening. Elisha stays where he is and he tells the servant, he goes, there are more with us than there are against us. And I think the servant went back to look what kind of tea he gave Elisha for breakfast. He said, what kind of breakfast did we give this guy? Because it's me and him that makes two. That doesn't take like a mathematical equation. There's two of us. There's a whole army coming against us. What do you mean there's more with us than there are against us? And the Bible says that Elisha prayed that the eyes of his servant would be opened. The spiritual eyes of the servant were open. And when he did, he saw chariots of fire. He saw angelic armies surrounding the place where Elijah and the servant were. Yes, there were more with them than there were against them. Jesus has prayed that the angelic forces of heaven surround you. When the enemy comes against you, there are more with you than there are against you. Greater is he that is in us, that is in the world. Jesus has prayed for you. When you feel threatened by the enemy, when you feel attacked by Satan, when you feel that he wants to trip you, remember, Jesus defeated him at the cross, and Jesus has prayed for you to be saved from him. Secondly, notice that Jesus prays that we would be set apart by the truth. He prayed to the Father that he would sanctify his disciples. To sanctify means to be made holy. To be made holy is, is to be set apart for, for a purpose. John 17, 16 says, They are not of this world as I am not of it. Jesus didn't come to the, from the world. He's not from this broken world. He came to the world from heaven. When, when, when Jesus walked on this earth, he only had a temporary resident card. He wasn't here permanently. This world was not the place where he came from and it was not his ultimate destiny. And when he rescued us from sin and darkness, when Jesus rescued us from the brokenness of this world, he changed our citizenship status. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we continue to live in this world, but we don't belong to it. We don't share its destiny. He pulled us out of the path to destruction from that wide road to damnation. And he pulled us and he got us on the highway to heaven. We don't share the destiny with the world. We don't share the values of the world. We march to the beat of a different drummer. We don't share the despair and the lostness and the spiritual blindness of the world. We are people of hope. And Jesus prays that while we're here in this world, we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart, that we would be made holy. One of the purposes for which God has us here on earth. I know that sometimes you and I look at the world and it is a messed up world. We look at the hurt and the pain and we say, God, why don't you just call us home right now? Why don't you just return right now? 
And one of the purposes for which God has you and me here is his sanctifying us. See, we're going to live eternally with a holy God. So God is preparing you for that eternity. He's making you holy. He's making me holy. Boy, he's got a long ways to go with me. Believe it or not, he's made some progress. I hope he's made progress in your life. You know, we have some friends who uh, are here from our church, and, and he works for the federal government, and God called him, uh, well, the federal government, I don't know if that's God, but the federal government uh, moved him to serve in South America, and when they got the news, he began to prepare for that. So he went to language school, and he was learning Spanish, and I would help him practice, and didn't go very well, but, you know, we tried. And, uh, and they were preparing culturally. And we got to visit them in South America. He works for the U.S. Embassy uh, in the capital of that country. And we saw how they had adapted to the culture and to the way of life. Their little girl uh, speaks Spanish fluently. And she just feels like she's living at home. But there was some preparation, some cross-cultural training that had to take place before they could make that move. You and I are in cross-cultural training for heaven. We're in countercultural training for the kingdom of God. God has us here and he's sanctifying us. He is setting us apart because we know our destination. How does God sanctify us? How does the Father make us holy? Verse 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. While Jesus was here on earth, he, he set his disciples apart and he was the sanctifying force in their lives. As he walked with them, he was making them holy. But Jesus knew that he wouldn't be here forever. And boy, Peter and James and John, they were a piece of work. They still had a long ways to go. And so when Jesus would leave, the work of sanctification had to continue. How would it continue? By the truth, the word of God. The truth sanctifies us. God makes us holy. Jesus prayed. Pray that we would be set apart from the world for his glorious purpose. And, and the way that we do that is God's word. Today, at the end of our service, we're going to hear the two McBain boys come. And they're going to share scripture memory. And you know what that means? They become light superstars. You become a light superstar when you memorize 50 scriptures. 50 scriptures. I'm not going to ask you how many of you know 50 memories, verses by memory because I don't want to embarrass you. But these boys do. And it is a reminder what Psalms 119.9 says, how can a young person stay in the path of purity? By living according to your word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. It is the word of God in us that sanctifies us when we hear it, when we study it, when we read it, when we meditate it, when we memorize it, but especially especially when we obey it. It transforms us. It changes us. It sanctifies us. As followers of Jesus, we belong to him. We have an identity. We carry the last name of Jesus. We carry the family name of the creator of heaven and earth. We carry his nature. We are citizens of the kingdom, and we are called to live at a higher level. We cannot settle for living like the average person in the world. Jesus prays that we would know this. He prays that we would live in this. He prays that we would grow in this. He prays that the Father would set us apart for his glorious purpose. That doesn't mean when God is sanctifying you, it doesn't mean that you're better than others. 
It just means that God's grace is working in your life. Sanctification is not to your credit. It's to the credit of God. It is his grace that is at work in you. So we don't become sanctified so that we can snub at the world and say, hmm, I'm better than you. We become sanctified so that the world can see what the power of God looks like. So that the world can see what the love of God looks like. Jesus prayed that we would be holy, that we would be sanctified, not so that we would think that we're better than others, not so that we would be self-righteous and haughty, but so that we would be humble and loving and compassionate and merciful. And that when people look at our lives, it would point straight to the Father. We're children of the King who does that in our lives. There are at least two reasons why the Father sanctifies us. One is so that he prepares us for eternity. The other is so that we can be ambassadors, his ambassadors to an unredeemed world. The other day we were talking to one of our young men that serves in the military forces here in the valley and and we were uh, talking with other young people, talking about maybe making a little field trip to Nuevo Progreso and going to eat over there and, and shop for some things. And he said, well, thanks guys, but I can't go. And I said, why can't you go? He said, because uh, I was told that I have a mission and as long as I'm in that mission, I cannot leave the country. And I thought, what a, what a great picture that is. We have a mission and our mission sets us apart. We don't do what everybody else does. We are set apart for a purpose, which leads us to the third thing Jesus prayed for here. He prayed that we would be sent to the world. Just as the Father sent Jesus to the world, so Jesus sends his disciples to the world. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the Father sent his Son to the world. That's the miracle of incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That the Father sent the Son to the world. And now Jesus says, just like the Father sent me, by the same power, by the same authority, by the same purpose, by the same will, I send you to the world. You. I send you. You're my follower. I send you. Like the Father has sent me, I have sent you to the world. As you sent me into the world, verse 18, I have sent them into the world. Go means that we live lives as sent ones. We are the sent people of God. We are sent by Jesus to a world of brokenness. What does go mean? Does go mean that we go on mission trips? Well, it includes that. Does go mean that we serve in our community ministries like Bread of Life and, 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 and the ministry to foster parents? Yes, it includes that. Does it mean that we send out missionaries to the mission field? Yes, it means that. But mostly it means that you and I live as sent people where God has placed us. It's an everyday thing. It's not a special event. It's not an activity. It's who we are. We are sent people. And so in our families and in our neighborhood and in our school and in our workplace, we are sent. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are agents of redemption. And, and, and we are re reminded that there are people in the world who still need hope. There are Sydneys in the world who need to know that Jesus died for them. There are people in the world who need to be saved from the enemy, who need to be set apart for a purpose. And we get to be the instrument for that. 
I'm so thankful that today Pablo and Judy Perez are with us. Pablo and Judy live in Quito, Ecuador, and uh, they have been uh, friends of Calvary for a long time. For more than 12 years, they, they've been at Calvary for seasons, and then God has taken them elsewhere within the valley or internationally. And last time, uh, I think it was 2014, they decided they were going to go back to Ecuador. And we asked them to come here to the front, and you and I prayed for them. We laid hands on them, and we sent them. Uh, they have a sending church in Priora, and, uh, but we get to be one of the churches that sends them, that prays for them, that supports them financially. And, uh, and so uh, we're so thankful that they're here because God is using them there in Ecuador. And uh, Pablo, Judy, welcome. And I'd like for you to share with us what God has done this, uh, these last couple of years as you've been in Ecuador. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, the Lord has been working through our lives and just taking us in this journey and uh, sharing the vision with believers that they are the ones who have to make disciples. And we start this journey when we went back to Ecuador and um, Pastor Chad called us like uh, uh, two years ago to a training in, Qu in Cuenca, Ecuador to have this training of how churches. And so when we went back to our church in Quito, the Lord just is starting to bloom. And so Judy is going to share what God is doing there. Okay, we don't need to explain this one. <laughs> just a few personal things. This is our family with our son, Paul. He lives and works in Austin, Texas. And this last summer, we were able to celebrate our 30th anniversary. We are sharing our presentation based on Mark 4, 26 to 29, where God, Jesus tells the parable of the sower who went into the field, sowed the seed, the seed sprouted and grew, and then there was harvest. And he compares that to the kingdom of God. When we went back to Ecuador, we entered Part of the entering process is to pray for your oikos or for your extended family and then look for persons and houses of peace. When we went back, we went back to the church where we met as singles. The church had been 200 and we went back. There were six. And we began discipling them and praying with them. And then we also shared the vision with Oswaldo and Jenny, Pablo's cousin, Oswaldo. And they began to work with us with discipling. And together we planted the seed. We began discipling people. We began sharing with a group in the church. But we also took the church to services in the parks to help people understand this is not the church. You are the church. And the church grew in number, and that was fantastic, but we weren't about just filling the benches. We knew that discipleship had to happen, and like here, we want to teach people to be disciple makers. Oswaldo and Jen are Pablo's main huddle, and working together, they have been discipling and helping people to grow. New believers came to the Lord, and we began discipling them in Bible studies, Bible studies in homes at Lena's, Yvonne's, Fabian's, and Sergio's. And as we began discipling in these Bible studies, the Bible studies became churches. 
the church meeting in Yvonne's home. Here we're having the Lord's Supper together. And Yvonne's home has already birthed a new church in Clarita's house. The church also meets in Lena's house. Lena's house is a church of Ecuadorians, Colombians, and Venezuelans. The church in Nelson's house in Pujili, that's an hour and a half south of Quito. And another half hour south of that is Ambato, where Pablo grew up, and he's got hundreds of cousins. <laughs> and that church, the, the house there, or the church meets in two houses there, and just recently another church was added. And last Easter, Pablo was able to baptize eight of his cousins. So after the house churches are formed, there's formations of leadership and training workers. And they are being trained, and they've got the vision. We now have a group of about 25 people who are committed to training others in how to be disciples and developing the house church movement. Last August, we started a tradition. Every three, three months, the church the house churches meet together to celebrate, and we, there were 150 people there that Sunday. We prayed for all of the leaders of the 16 house churches that were in existence at that time. And, that, and our overall goal was to plant reproducing churches in Quito, Ecuador, Latin America, and the world. The kingdom harvest means for our community, and our city. Ecuador, Quito is the capital. Two and a half million people. And God planted the Renacimiento Church right in the middle of the city. We have churches, traditional churches on the south end and on the north end. And God is using that to spread his word throughout the church, throughout the city. And our goal now is 25,000 house churches in Quito to be able to reach the entire city for God, for God's glory. Now, since we left, we, when we left um, in September, there were 22. We now have, know of 30. And there are new developments. Like I said, a new church in Ambato has caught the vision. There are more new believers, more than we know, and we have one that got started in our own house. Oswaldo has been living in our house while we were gone, and they started a new group there. <laughs> and we thank you for praying for us and for sharing with us as you have been part of our team as we are in Ecuador. And one thing I wanted to share that I didn't share in the other service, Pablo's leaving the 10th of April to go back to Ecuador, and we know that on the 14th they're going to have another celebration of all of the house churches. Right, amen. 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 What what an incredible thing. So you when when you left here, Calvary, uh, four or five years ago, you found six people in your, in that church where you'd been, and now there are thirty house churches. That's right. Uh, most of that has happened over the last year and a half. Yes, since February. Yeah, and, and you're expecting thousands of churches to come out of that. What, yes. what is the key to that multiplication? Uh, I think it's sharing the vision yeah. and training leaders so they can do what they are, uh, the other churches are doing. Yeah. So we continue in an ongoing training. Yeah. Every week we have a training there. 
and every Sunday in church, instead of Sunday school, uh, we, we are training to do the same things. Yeah. So That's awesome. You said in the first service that when you went back and you saw those six, and, and after the training in Cuenca, that you liberated them. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, we have like a, a three elders in the church, and then we decided that every elder is going to start uh, like their own house church uh -huh. so they can multiply themselves yeah. and they can become a house churches. Yeah. So now uh, they are, you know, every small group, they consider themselves a, as a church. Yeah. So they plant other house churches as well. In other words, you encourage them to live out of sent ones, yeah, which right. is what Jesus prayed for. Yeah, they, they are sent and they are doing Amen. what they're supposed to do. Amen. Thank you so much Thank for you. your work there. God bless you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Give me one. What a joy it is to see people that are living as sent ones. We're all sent. All of us. We all have our mission field. Their mission field might be Quito, but your mission field is your school campus, is your neighborhood, your place of work, your family, and that's where God has placed us. The description I give of a disciple is that a disciple is a lifelong learner who loves God, loves people, and lives as a redemptive agent in the world making other disciples. That's the kind of disciple that I believe Jesus prayed for us to be. We have a 2020 vision here. I'm so happy to hear their vision of, of being a, a movement of house churches. Our, our vision here, our 2020 vision is that CBC, that Calvary would uh, catalyze and partner with a network of multiplying congregations that will result in 65,000 new disciples in the Rio Grande Valley that will transform the communities. This is a crazy goal. But here's what we think. There are about one and a half million people in the valley. More than half of those people don't know Jesus. Can we just pray for 5% to become his followers and to be used by God as sent ones so that they can bring hope to the valley and to our communities? Jesus prayed for that. He prayed that we would be saved from the enemy, that we would be sanctified by the word, and that we would be sent to the world. My question is, is God answering Jesus' prayer in your life? Are you letting God answer Jesus' prayer by living a life that is sanctified, set apart, so that you can be sent into a world that is broken? Would you bow your head with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus and his prayer because in it, it gives us his heart and your purpose. God, we thank you for what you've already done for us to rescue us, to redeem us. We thank you for the identity we have, for the security that we possess, for the places where you have seated us in heavenly places. You've made us kingdom, citizens of the kingdom. And now you remind us that we have a mission, we have a purpose, a glorious purpose to bring you glory. Father, I pray that you speak to us. Thank you for those who have been obedient to you already in Quito, here in McAllen, and in other parts of the world. But help us not to miss out. Don't help us not to be left out of what you're doing. We want to be right in the middle of your purpose. So work in our hearts, Lord. 
so that we can be obedient, so that we can trust you? How is it that God is speaking to your life today? How is it that you need to respond to him? How is it that God needs to work in your life so that you'll be an answer to Jesus' prayer of being saved, being sanctified, and being sent? Maybe your greatest need today is to come to a personal knowledge of Jesus. Maybe you're a church attendee. Maybe you're, you do this cultural Christianity thing, but you don't have this power, this hope in your life. And you realize that what you really need to do today is to receive the gift of Jesus, his gift of salvation, forgiveness, his gift of transformation. So today you can pray that prayer. You can say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot live life in the way you want me to live it. I cannot be saved and forgiven without Jesus. So today I give up my efforts, I confess my sins, and I receive Jesus. His work on the cross, his resurrection power, and I will become a disciple, a follower of Jesus from this day forward. I receive all that comes with Jesus in responsibility and in privilege. As you pray that prayer, God will, will come and, and do a miracle in your life and make you a new person to give you eternal life if you pray that prayer in faith. Maybe there's something else that God wants to do in your life. Maybe it's time for you to follow him in believer's baptism or for you to join this church or for you to open your home to, to uh, be a house church. Maybe you need to make a list of of lost people that you need to be praying for. Maybe you need to decide to have a conversation, a gospel conversation with someone who's far away from God. Whatever it is that God is prodding you to do in your heart, would you say yes to him? I'm gonna ask you to stand and as we stand, we're going to sing. As we sing, I, I want to invite you to come to the front and pray. We're in 40 days of prayer. And I'm pretty sure that you know somebody who's far away from God that needs you to pray for them. I'm pretty sure there's somebody that you need to be praying for today. Or maybe you need to be praying for yourself so that God can use you. Or maybe you need to be praying for Pablo and Judy. But I'm going to ask you to come and kneel and pray at the front. Maybe you have a need, maybe you have a struggle. Maybe you need someone to pray for you, we'd love to pray with you. You can kneel or we can pray for you, but you come. In fact, you can start coming now even. And I'm gonna invite children and students, if you have little coin banks uh, and you wanna put them here at the front as, a, as an offering of worship to the Lord, you come and put your coin banks here at the front. You come as the Spirit leads you and as we sing.